You're listening to the City Church Downtown Podcast. Now here's Doug Robbins. Good morning. Good to see you guys today. Uh, before we get into the scriptures today, I thought it would be appropriate for us to pray the serenity prayer together. Um, so I want to kind of hope, I want this service to be a relief to you, not a burden on you. And in case you don't know the serenity prayer, we'll put it on the screens and I'll say it on, uh, out loud on all of our behalf. And then you just say it uh, silently as best you can. Uh, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardships as the pathway to peace, taking, as he did, this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that he will make all things right if I surrender to his will, that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever in the next. Amen. Well, in a lot of my talks, I mention some of my past marriage problems, and the reason that I do that is because it was one of the most spiritually forming times of my life when Jeannie and I were having problems. Now, these days, uh, we're having a pretty good go of it. I mean, we take these long walks on the river walk together. We rode bikes last night. Sometimes we fall asleep uh, having conversations. You ever have a conversation and you just fall asleep and it's like, honey, are you listening? You know, and, uh, but, but we're, we're very connected these days, but it hadn't always been that way. And I remember a time when we were separated, uh, both of us were thinking about divorce, and we were going to this marriage counselor. And we're sitting there with the marriage counselor, and he's asking these probing questions, and my wife says to him, my wife Jeannie, she said, you know, it feels like we're roommates, but we're not really a married couple. And you know what she was saying by that? It's like we're living in the same house, we're in each other's presence, but we're not really intimately connected you know, have you ever felt like that? And you know what we had to do in that marriage counseling time is we had to start taking off our masks one after another. And I'll tell you what, those of you that have done it, those of you who are thinking about doing it, it is a scary thing to do to take off your mask in front of your spouse and talk about what you're really feeling, the way you really feel towards the other one, and then take off your mask and show people who you really are and the sinful things and the wrong things that are in your life that need to get dealt with. It will scare the crap out of you. Well, one of the reasons why we talk about this is Jeannie and I feel like that one of the things God has asked us to, to prompt us, prompted us to do is that we're to take off our marriage mask and to show other couples what's happening in our lives so that perhaps others would benefit from that. And uh, I read this book recently called Scary Close by Donald Miller, and it really captures a lot of the sense of uh, the way we feel, and I highly recommend that book. Um, but the obvious reason that he titled it that is because it's scary to take those masks off. But the question is, why is it it's so scary to take off our masks? And the reason it's so scary is because of shame, shame in our lives. In this next drawing I'm going to show you, when you're born, you come out as your true self, and you grow up as your true self, but at some point in your life, life will introduce you to shame. So a lot of kids experience it for the first time when they have accidents, right? Like uh, a kid struggles with bedwetting, and they start trying to hide because shame comes into the equation. But what happens as we grow up, we still have accidents, but just not the same kind 
And those accidents bring shame. And when we feel shame, we start trying to hide. We start putting on masks and we might put the achievement mask on or we might put the morality mask on or we might put, a lot of people put on the religious mask. And you know why we put on these different masks? is because we want to convince other people that our accidents don't make us stink. See, we're still doing it. Now, we see this take place in the Bible for the first time in the Hebrew creation story. Go back with me to Genesis chapter 2, verse 25. It says there, now the man and wife were both naked, but they felt no what? No shame. And if you follow the story out, you would see that Adam and Eve were deceived by the serpent. And when they were deceived by the serpent, they sinned. They ate of the forbidden fruit. And look at what happens immediately next in Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. At the moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt what? Shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together, and they covered themselves. See? The first mask being put on due to shame. And what I want to show you today is that your heart is longing for the intimacy beneath the mask in all of your relationships, be they marital, tribal, or career. So there's this pastor and author named Stephen Furtick, and he said, God can't bless who I pretend to be. And I thought, isn't that the truth, right? God will not bless who I pretend to be. And you know what? Everybody, probably everybody here and most people you know, they say, well, I don't wear masks, man. I'm just keeping it real, you know? You know, hashtag real talk, you know, it's just like all this, see? <laughs> but I'll tell you what, even people who say they're keeping it real, I'm here to tell you they're not. It is very rare to find a person who has the skill to know what it takes to drill down the layers of your own heart and find the shame that's causing you to put on a mask. Some of you, if you were to rewind in your own heart and mind and emotions, you would find that some of the times that you were the loneliness, loneliest is not when uh, you were just by yourself, but it's when you were around other people, but you weren't intimate with anyone. You had not lowered your mask with anyone, see? So some of you have got new friends, you got this new friend, and you really like this new friend, but you're afraid because of your shame. You don't want to lower the mask and show you the new friend who you really are because if you do that, then they might start not returning your phone calls and texts, right? Some of you are in a marriage right now with a woman who's very cold, and you're afraid to take down your mask because you don't know what that will do. Some of you are in a relationship with a man and you want so much more intimacy with your man. And he doesn't have a clue how you're feeling, how you're hurting. And you're afraid to take off that mask because it may cause more damage. Some of you are new to town or you're new to the church. Maybe you've even joined one of the church tribes or something like that, a group. And you're afraid to take off the mask because of what that might do. Uh, but what we want you to have is some tribe of people where you can take off your mask and get scary close. That's why we've been in this series called Tribe City, where we've said together we can be unstoppable. Together, when we lower the mask and find out the true person within, we can be 
unstoppable. And you guys are forming all kinds of tribes. There are organic tribes where you don't need to meet in a church building or advertise in our brochures. Like one woman who works for a major corporation in our city, she emailed me um, and she said, hey, I just formed this prayer group at my office and we get together on our breaks at work and we get each other through the day through prayer. There are also family tribes, right? Like your uh, extended family, like the Constante tribe. The Constantes, man, uh, the only way into that tribe, you got to marry in or you got to like date one of them, or you got to be one of the cousins or something like that. And so I'm afraid they'll all turn on us someday. There are so many of them, uh, but they won our chili cook-off in one of the services a few weeks ago, and they're a great group of folks, the Constantes. I love. Um, and some of you are already connected with your extended family, and that is your tribe, and you should deputize that and organize that and be a catalyst within that. And that leads me to tribal catalysts. See, some of you are wired in such a way where you can be the one who instigates the forming of a tribe. You initiate the forming of a tribe. In fact, last year, I was coming out of HEB, and I saw a lady from our church, and I didn't know her, and she says, hey, Pastor Doug, uh, and I'm like, hey, hi, random lady. And she, she's like, well, um, um, I've been going to this tribe at the church with these ladies, right? And I went to the tribe, and they prayed over me one day, one evening. And ever since those ladies prayed for me, I haven't done cocaine since. And ever since that time, I felt the Holy Spirit in my life. I hadn't felt the Holy Spirit in my life in years. And you know why that happened? Because a group of ladies stepped up and initiated the formation of a tribe, a place where people's masks can come down and we can get prayed for and receive help and the love that God intends for us. Now, we've already looked at the problem of shame in the Hebrew creation story, and now we're going to fast forward to the New Testament and the book of Hebrews, and we're going to see five truths about masks uh, today. So if you want to take notes or follow along in your phone app Bible or highlight some of them, go to Hebrews chapter 13, and the first mask we're going to see is you got to take off the orphan mask. Take off the orphan mask in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1, where the author says, keep on loving one another as what? Brothers and sisters. There's this popular author and pastor named Rick Warren, and he says, a Christian without a church family is an orphan. Now, have you ever met that person that says, well, I can be a Christian, I don't need a church, right? Uh, I, I just don't need church. And I want to tell you something about whoever says that. There is always, every single time, a wound, an inner wound associated with that. There's either a wound or some type of shame. That's why people try and be a spiritual orphan. And here's what happens is people go to a church, and there are people in church, right? And we know that there are imperfect people in churches, aren't there? There's imperfect people in our church. We just acknowledge it, okay? Um, and what happens is, is someone gets a wound from a person, and then they leave church, and they throw the baby out with the bathwater, and they say, all churches are lame um, because of their own wound. And what happens is they get involved with another group of people, and all groups of people, church or not, are going to have imperfections and problems, and they get w wounded again. Deal with the wound. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You're an orphan if you're not involved in a church. Now, don't underestimate the significance of your efforts with this. And remember, Hebrews says we're brothers and sisters. We're not a part of some large organization. We're family, spiritually speaking. So what I want you to do is turn to someone next to you, and I want you to tell them, you're my brother or you're my sister. Go for it.
Okay, it doesn't take that long. We're good, right? We're good. So check this out. Um, a book that made a huge impact on me related to intimacy uh, was Connecting by Larry Crabb. He's this world-renowned Christian psychologist, and he said that rather than just doing psychological surgery through therapy, that we should be involved in psychological and spiritual nutrition, which comes from community or what we're calling tribes. Let me show you a quote from the book. He says, I'm now working towards the day when communities of God's people, ordinary Christians whose lives regularly intersect, will accomplish most of the good that we now depend on mental health professionals to provide. And they will do it by connecting with each other in ways that only the gospel makes possible. So what you see here is a world-renowned Christian psychiatrist who is saying, I'm putting more energy and effort now in helping people with spiritual nutrition through communities, or what we're calling here tribes of people, and it will replace much of what we depend on therapy to do. He's not saying we don't need therapy. We'll always probably need therapy until we get to heaven. But look at another quote from the book. He says, the greatest need in modern civilization is the development of communities, true communities, where the heart of God is home, where the humble and wise learn to shepherd those on the path behind them, where trusting strugglers lock arms with others as together they journey on. And so he, sa- he gives in the book some ingredients to tribal communities that actually heal. And I want to show you a few of those ingredients. One is a taste of Christ delighting in us. A tribal family gives us this glimpse at just how much God delights in us. In fact, if you go back to the Old Testament, uh, Zephaniah 3.17 says, For the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty Savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. And that Hebrew word for rejoice over you means he's moving around. It's like he's dancing. And that's why if you look at another translation, the Jerusalem Bible, it says he will dance with shouts of joy over you. So I want you to turn to someone next to you and tell them God's cutting a rug over you, bro, sister. Okay, look at this next ingredient here, is a diligent search for what is good. So your tribe, if it heals you, they're on a diligent search for, to, to find the good in you. When you receive Christ into your life, the Bible says it's like a treasure inside of a clay jar, see? So your tribe is not just looking for the bad so they can exploit it. Have you ever been a part of that group before? Okay, but what we want to be are tribes of people that are looking for the treasure within those around us. And so I want you to turn to someone next to you and tell them, there's a treasure inside you, Jack. (laughs) Here you go. Now, look at the last ingredient of uh, a healing tribe here, and that is an engaging exposure of what is bad or painful. But see, the motivation in pointing out what's bad and painful in you is not so that they can judge you, but it's so that they can help you find the treasure within because the bad and the painful gets in the way. Um, Our tribes are uh, seeking to show us what's bad or painful on the inside in a redemptive way. So um, here's what you want to say to someone next to you. Um, I'm going to tell you what's up, Jack. Okay, go ahead and tell them that real quick. And now tag something onto the end of it, in love. In love. See, your heart, as you say that, 
it's given you a little glimpse because then these things are true of the human soul and it gives you a glimpse of what your heart is truly longing for that's underneath this mask, you see. So uh, let me show you a second truth about the mask to help others take off their mask, show hospitality. Hebrews 13, 2 and 6, it says, Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing, some people have shown hospitality with angels without knowing it. So we say with confidence, the Lord's my helper, I'll not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? And that's why we always say around here, tribes eat. There's something about eating together, showing hospitality that helps people break down those masks, right? Um, that's why there's a dinner tribe. It's called Dinner for Eight or Nine that's starting. It's like a six-month commitment to get together and have dinner with people, and you can find out more information about the info desk. But when I uh, learned this principle to be so true was a few years ago, and I was going with Pastor Jim from Strong Foundation, our ministry that supports homeless families, and we were doing these interviews on the corner of Hackberry and Houston. Now, in those days, we called it Crackberry, okay, because there was a lot of stuff going on on that corner just a few years ago. Those of you that live in Dignity on the east side, you know all about that, right? Um, so anyways, we were, we're over there at night, you know, that's real smart, right? At night, video equipment, doing video interviews with people, and we run across this guy named Shorty. Now, what you got to understand about Shorty, he was kind of a pharmaceutical salesperson, okay? And we, we're on his corner and Shorty does not like it that we're on his corner. And he's got this guy with him that's like his boy, right? And it's like a big old guy. Shorty, he, you know, he's vertically challenged, but his guy is kind of tall, and his guy is like his yes man. So whatever Shorty says, the, the big guy's all, yeah, like that. So Shorty comes up to us, and he's confronting us. He's like, what are you doing on my corner? His yes man, yeah. He's like, get that camera out of here. You don't belong on the east side with all this stuff. Get out of here. And his man's all, yeah. And so then I think Jim, Jim is like this big old tall dude, you know, that I'm with, and he doesn't back down from anybody, and it's getting heated, and the dude's going, yeah. And I'm thinking they're going to break out nunchucks. I don't know what's going to go on here. And I break in there, and I look at Shorty, and I kind of step up. You know, and it looked kind of aggressive, but you know, I'm a harmless fuzzball. And so I says to him, Hey, hey man, how about you guys come with us over to Strong Foundation? Because we got some barbecue chicken over there and some great food, and we would love to have dinner with you. And Shorty steps up to me, and I thought he was gonna go nuts, and he's like, You know, I think I might like that. <laughs> and his boy's all, Yeah. <laughs> so we went over that night, and we ate a meal together. And you know what happened after that? Shorty started escorting the women who lived at Strong Foundation from their bus stop on a, a dangerous corner over to the ministry. See, uh, I don't know if I was entertaining an angel unaware. If I was, I, didn't, I wasn't aware that angels were allowed to say some of those words that he used. <laughs> <laughs> but I do know this. We got a little bit closer to being, you know, scary close in a friendship, in a relationship, and hospitality has a way of doing that. Um, let me show you the third truth about masks from Hebrews. Take off your mask by putting yourself in other shoes. Hebrews 13.3, continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. See, 
I remember this became real to me when I was visiting a former work colleague. In fact, it was one of my bosses when I worked in the marketplace, and he had to go to prison for like three years. And I went to visit him, and I sat down, and he was on the other side of the glass there, you know? And I looked down the way, and I saw this woman with her little son talking through the glass to dad. And what hit me about that experience was that at the time, my son was about the same age as that little kid. And I thought to myself, what would it feel like to be on the wrong side of the glass talking to my kid and my wife? And it gave me a lot more empathy to put myself in someone else's shoes. And that friend of mine that was incarcerated at that time, he's since got out and he's living a great life now. And he's come to faith in Christ and grown spiritually like crazy. And to this day, if he called me, he knows I'm good for whatever he needs and vice versa. If I call him, he's good for whatever I need. We got scary close because we were able to put each other in the other's shoes, see? Now let me show you. Another uh, truth here about the mask, and that is take off the impurity mask. Take off the impurity mask. That comes in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Man, we see so many people today, particularly on our social media feeds, who are putting on the sexy mask trying to be, post the sexy selfies, right? Trying to be sexy to everyone around. I wonder how that makes God feel. I know it says he'll judge him. I wanna show you the judgment of one dad when he saw his daughter's sexy selfies. We brought some pictures of the dad who uh, tried to <laughs> post there. And you've seen these, no doubt. And then there's the next one there where the dad's showing what it looks like, see? But you know, we have a good father in heaven. And we try and be all sexy and all that. And he says, I'm going to judge you for that. You know what the judgment is? A lack of intimacy. When we lust and when we have uh, sexual relationships outside our marriages, we're judged by the lack of intimacy that we feel in the most significant relationships in our lives. And that's why God doesn't want it. He's not trying to keep us from having fun. He's trying to give us a lot more fun. And here's what happens when you're single. You think, well... You know, if I was married, everything would be good. I wouldn't feel so lonely all the time, but that is not true. I wanna show you a quote from a book I read by Margaret Feinberg called 20-something, and she said, while finances and relationships top the list, loneliness resonated among a surprising number of those who responded. Interestingly, loneliness was cited more often amongst married people than singles. And man, I've lived that one because I remember when we were roommates and we weren't scary close, see? Now, some people think that Christian people who are trying to follow God's guidelines for sexuality in the Bible are like these prudes or sexually repressed kind of people, but actually the opposite is true. And all you have to do is go over to Kid City and see the number of kids running around over there, and you would know that city church people are having the best sex of anybody in the city, right on? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a few of you clapped. All the people who clapped are the ones that are having the great sex, you know. All the ones who didn't, well, you know. <laughs> it kind of sucks there. Anyways, your heart's longing for that, and um, that's why some of you should this summer, the next time reengage rolls around, should jump into that tribe. 
There's another one that's going on right now called Covenant Love. If you want more information about that one, uh, you can go to the info desk and learn about that. It's where married couples get together and get help. But look at the fifth uh, truth about mass, and that is uh, take off the money mass. Number five, take off the money mass. Hebrews 13, 5. He says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. Now, when I read this verse, I think to myself, well, what, is, what do these two thoughts have together? Because this verse looks like two different thoughts here. It's like, okay, don't love money and then God will never leave you and forsake you. How do those things go together? Well, I'll answer that question here in just a minute, but before I do... Um, I think that when we hear about the love of money, what we tend to do is we move towards class envy. You know what I mean, class envy? Well, it's all those rich people that are putting on the masks. I mean, they just put on all these masks because they have all that money, when really we're just jealous because we don't have the money that those people have. Uh, but what I, what I think the truth is, a lot of times, um, and the truth bears itself out in that book that's called The Millionaire Next Door. You've maybe heard of that book, and it's that person that lived next door to you, and they live frugal, and they're a millionaire, but no one would ever know it. See? Who's putting on the mask? The people that already have the money or those of us that don't have it and want to look like we do? See? I think the majority of us are the ones putting on the mask, and that's why we got so much credit card debt. And there's nothing scarier than going through that financial peace tribe and showing, taking off your mask and showing people where your resources are really going. See? Now, back to the question that I posed just a minute ago. What is that, what do those two thoughts have to do with each other? You know, don't love money, God will never forsake me. Let me tell you a story how it kind of became a little more clear for me. I was a part of a tribe when I was a teenager. I was new to really trying to follow Christ. I mean, I'd gone through this huge change in my life and I was in high school and I had this friend named Jason and he was a part of our tribe and we hung out all together uh, all the time. And then we got into college, and Jason was actually one of my college roommates at that time, and we hung out all the time. And after we graduated, you know how it goes. You, everybody goes to different places after you graduate from college. And uh, I went to Fort Worth, Texas to work on my master's degree in seminary, and Jason went to head up the marketing for a mall in Lufkin, Texas. And we were talking on the phone one night. I was in Fort Worth. He was in Lufkin. And I could tell that Jason had been drinking way too much, and he was depressed, he was lonely, and he was suicidal, and I was having to talk him off the ledge over the phone that night. And it became evident during that conversation that uh, I needed to be there in person. I couldn't just talk to him on the phone. I said, dude, you just hang on, and I'm going to get in the car, and I'm going to roll. So I hung up the phone. I drove from Fort Worth to Lufkin. I got there. I sat down with him in his apartment, and I prayed with him. And I tried to encourage him the best I could. And finally, he, he got to feeling a little bit better. He got tired. He went to bed. I slept on his couch. Woke up the next morning. I talked to him again. He was fine. He was ready to go to work. I drove back to Fort Worth. And when I got back to Fort Worth, you know, I went to school, got back in my regular rhythm of life. And in the mail, I got my electric bill. And my electric bill at that time in our little, you know, apartment at that time was $72, okay? So remember that number, 72, okay? So when I point to you, say 72, ready? 72, okay? So $72 for electric bill doesn't sound like a lot of money, but at that time in my life, Jeannie and I were living below the poverty level, okay? And here's what made things worse, is that we had made this commitment 
to tithe at the church we were attending in Fort Worth. That means we're going to give a tenth, 10% of our income, even though we didn't make very much money, right? So uh, what was happening was our electric bill for $72 was due, and our tithe was also due at the same time. And I didn't have the money for both. I just had enough money to pay one or the other. So I, I don't always recommend this, but I paid my tithe that, that Sunday, and I didn't know where the electric bill money was going to come. Well, a couple of days later, I get this letter in the mail from a woman named Joan from out of state. Let me tell you who Joan is. That is Jason's mom. And she sent me this nice letter thanking me for going and talking to her son and ministering to him and keeping him from killing himself, right? But also in the envelope was a check for $80 for, you know, just thanking me. So let me do a little math with you. Now, if you're like elementary school level math, you can handle this, okay? (laughs) If you take a tithe, 10% out of $80, what number do you come up with? 72. And that showed me, if I'll continue to be faithful to my tribe and the tithe, he will never forsake me. Don't think you go to a church small group and you give money at the church that God is going to cause a Hummer to pull out in front of your house, and then he's going to give you a house in the dominion. Don't work that way. He provides what we need. But I can guarantee you this. You're faithful to your tribe and the tithe, and he will never leave you or forsake you. He will never let you down. It's like money in the bank. He comes through every single time. He's a good, good God. Now, we started out our conversation today where shame was introduced in the garden in Genesis when Adam and Eve sinned. And we're going to end there as well. Because as soon as Adam and Eve sinned and shame was entered into the equation, God did something about it to cover that shame. And he gave a prophecy in Genesis. And the prophecy is this. Someone will come from the seed or the descendant of the woman. And that one that comes, the serpent will bruise his heel, but he will crush the serpent's head. And that was fulfilled when Jesus Christ came to this earth and died on the cross and rose again from the dead, crushing the serpent's head. And if you can believe that when Jesus died on the cross for your sin, If you can receive that, he says you can become a child of God. And that blood payment, that death, covers the shame that is in your life. We always end our services there because there is no more significant issue than you've got to deal with than do I or do I not have a relationship with the living God. And that's why every single week, almost, we give you an opportunity to pray and begin a relationship with God if you don't already have that relationship. So how about we bow for just a minute and pray? And if you have never begun a relationship with Jesus, I want you to just pray, just talk to him in your own heart right now and just say, look, God, I know I've had accidents. (laughs) And God, some of them weren't just accidents. It was like premeditated sin. Like I rebelled against you. And I'm so sorry for that. Will you please forgive me? And God, the best I know how, I choose to believe 
that when Jesus died on that cross, he was taking the punishment I deserved. And he covered my guilt and shame. If you just prayed that, God came into your life just then. You may not have felt lightning, but he came in if you just believed in faith and meant it in your heart. And those of us that have known Christ for many years, some of us are choosing to take off masks today. And we're just saying something like this to God, God, I wanna take off that religious mask because I don't, I don't need to try and convince others that my accidents don't stink. God, I'm gonna take off the sexy mask and I'm gonna keep myself pure. God, I'm gonna take off the money mask and I'm gonna love you first and trust you more than I trust my money. God, thank you for the good work you're doing in our hearts and lives and we pray all these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Everyone said amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit citychurchdowntown.com.